This podcast was recorded in a Zoom meeting with the Hartford Street Zen Center Sangha. Please visit hszc.org for information about how to join our online programs or to make a contribution. We depend on the generosity of our members and supporters, especially during this challenging time. Thank you. The idea of what is home and how do we create a home um, or how do we learn to um, live in harmony with the home that we have. So most of us um, thinking about home as a sanctuary, um, we need and want a safe and secure place to come back to um, when life is challenging or when, when we're overcome um, and or when we have a day filled with delight and celebration and our energy reserves are spent. We want a place where we can go back to and what we call crash or just to, to recharge our batteries. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time finding the right place, decorating it and making it comfortable, um, populating it with people um, if we live with other people um, who can comfort us and to whom we can comfort, um, or some of us choose to live alone. Um, and some of us, of course, live with others due to family bonds or economic realities. Um, and then some folks, like those who live at Hartford Street, have made a choice about dwelling in a conscious community, of a spirit-focused community. So those are all possibilities and those are all home, all very different. So home is a secure place um, where I find my foundation um, and, and where I can go back to, where I can rely on. Sharon Salzberg in her new book, Real Change, talks about um, that one interpretation of the word Dharma is that which we can rely on. So if we think of home, as a basic concept of that place that we can rely on um, for safety and to recharge our batteries, um, it, that becomes a really, uh, a really uh, life-affirming place for us. And then in Buddhism, of course, we have the concept of impermanence, that all things come and go, all things change. Um, and the Buddha taught that, you know, if we do not understand the truth of impermanence, um, we will suffer, continue to suffer, and we will likely make others suffer. So somehow we have to think of the concept of the importance of having a secure place in a home. Um, I find myself once in a while referring to Michigan where my family lives as home. I'll be telling a story and I'll say, well, you know, when I go home um, and I have not lived in Michigan in 50 years, 50 <laughs> and, and yet actually more than 50, but never mind. Um, but it's still somehow when I use the language, it's when I, when I occasionally will say go home. Um, and of course, I have at this point no real resonance with Michigan and um, the things that happened at that formative stage in my life um, are not my favorite um, teaching moments in life. And so I'm not sure where that language comes from. So what we do know is that during the last 11 months, most of us spent a lot more time in our residences um, alone um, and um, practicing with the difference between um, uh, solitude and isolation. Um, and for some of us, um, in an alarming amount of shared time with loved ones and family um, and roommates. And we've all told the stories or heard the stories of people who said, uh, you know, I was newly married um, just before COVID started and shelter in place. <clears throat> and now I've had this wonderful opportunity to spend um, the last 11 months <clears throat> on a daily basis um, in direct contact with this loved one that I have just chosen or these children that I birthed and I'm so I'm proud of and delighted in. Um, and for some, this was a joyous chance to reconnect um, and to share the crazy journey of 2020 
And for others, um, it was, uh, you know, could be suffocating. Um, and, and in either case, that was home. Um, so this week, in the, in the midst of thinking myself as somebody who lives alone and thinking about the definition of isolation and 11 months of, you know, it's, it's opened up a lot in terms of going for walks and walking with people at a social distance and stuff. <clears throat> but several months and many hours of the day, um, I, I was telling myself in my story of, oh, woe is me, telling myself about how alone I was and, and how isolated it could be in this house. Um, and then I, I was preparing at that point to give a talk. Um, and at that talk on Zoom, there were 65 people. And so um, at the end of the talk, I was just thinking that I teach at a university. So I had three classes this week, plus the two Zen opportunities. So sitting here, you are all welcomed into my home. Um, and that means that this week, um, by quick calculation, there were 320 people in my home. Um, and I do know that I, uh, solitude <laughs> and sacred space is important to me. And so I suddenly sat with the idea that, oh, 320 of you came into my home and we shared our thoughts and ideas and our hearts with each other. And that's way too many people. <laughs> it's way too many people. So what does that mean exactly? Um, and overall, I think it's joyous and, 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 and so forth. Um, but I think we go back always, as we did with the story of the Buddha, to our childhood homes. So for many of us, that was a place of joy and comfort, maybe the smell of good food and family laughing and all that. And for a lot of others, we grew up in chaotic households, um, worried about when the next drama might unfold, um, when the alcoholic in our family might show up angry or might not show up at all. Um, in some cases, the actual presence of violence or the fear of violence and abuse. Um, uh, you know, not if it would come, those things, but when they would come. Um, and some of us with neglect and invisibility. So in, in thinking about our Buddhist tradition, we began a lifelong pattern of suffering. You know, those karmic seeds that were sown in those original homes um, could lead us to worry and hurt and isolation. Um, and eventually that sort of, those sort of experiences migrate into fear um, and that fear migrates into just about every aspect of our life, um, never feeling completely safe, um, sometimes with no confidence in the future. Um, and then we carry those feelings in the stories that we learned or that were taught to us and forced on us by others. Um, and, and for some folks, it was hmm, um, the idea uh, that, uh, uh, that what we were taught and how we lived in those early homes um, was something that needed a lot of healing. Um, and then we found ourselves um, on the Buddha's path um, and teachings that allowed for me, and I hope for many of you, a new connection to life and the possibility of, of healing to such a degree that we could have lives filled with peace and ease and connection to others. But that healing is difficult. And I was looking this week at a book by uh, Paula Arai. It's called Bringing Zen Home. And it's actually the story of work uh, with the Japanese women's rituals and Buddhism. But the book is, um, and it's beautiful for those reasons, and that would be enough. But there's so much in the book that's, that's helpful. And I just read you a couple of paragraphs um, talking about um, getting, doing, using healing to get back to interrelatedness. Buddhism, says Paula, is an experiential tradition. It teaches that you must test a behavior or activity for yourself to see if it helps stop suffering. Nothing is taking on faith. Therefore, Buddhism, rather than a pragmatic undercurrent, has, has a rather pragmatic undercurrent running through it. Likewise, healing is a pragmatic experience. What works for one may not work for the other. 
Suffering arises out of a mistaken sense that a person is separate, alone, and supported. Healing, conversely, arises out of the sense of peace that does not shatter in the face of horrific events and delusional activities. Healing occurs when we have a bodily, heartfelt awareness that you are integral um, and to an all-encompassing network. So it's that connection between us that allows the healing. And it's the teachings of the Buddha that began that healing process for me and I suspect for some of you. Paula says that if you can accept, come to accept how you are in any moment, it frees up a huge amount of energy to move forward with the healing in your life. So for me, in the loving words of the Buddha, I did find a safe home. Um, first of all, for me, I, 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 uh, my reaction to my early life was to move at about 100 miles an hour, 24 or 20 hours out of every uh, out of every uh, out of every day, and seven days out of every week. So when I got to Buddhism, and I found first of all, the main practice was to sit quietly, that I didn't have to talk, I didn't have to um, uh, prove myself, I didn't have to um, tell the best or the funniest story, um, and that importantly, no one else was going to talk during the main practice of zazen. Um, that. Even in that ultimate quiet, I found in the beginning I could feel judged. Was I sitting straight enough? Was I breathing deeply enough? Um, and I came to realize in sitting zazen that those harsh criticisms were coming from inside. They were stories that I had been taught and stories that I was bringing into this beautiful silent practice. Um, and a teaching um, of the, of, that we learn all learn is to study the self, is to forget the self, um, and to really be at peace with all beings. And so, so in zazen, I found this wonderful home where I had things I didn't even know that I was missing and, and dreaming of, a place to be quiet, a place as we did this morning for 30 minutes to be with, to be with each other um, in, a, in the complete opportunity to simply be caring for self and caring for others. So when we meditate, we sit still, sit still and we feel our breath um, and we enter the immediacy of being alive right now in this moment and in this moment, we're all in meditation. So in this moment, we are just as safe as we can be. And of course, meditation is not some miracle cure. It doesn't make all the, the injuries of the past and all of the busyness of the present and all of our worries about the future um, in terms of, of health and economy and, and other things in our lives. Um, but I often wonder, um, for me, if, if this practice you know, and I've spoken about this a few times before, um, to be here fully present in this moment and experience um, the possibilities that Zazen offers, is that is it really a little bit too much self-care and self-focus? Um, is it really a little bit too much um, of me coming out of the world in order to do this practice? Um, and we sometimes refer when we're talking to um, the doing Zazen and then going into the real world and how do we make sure that the real world includes Zazen? That practice is, everything is practice and practice is everything. So um, I wonder about the teachings of the Buddha about no separate self. Am I sitting in meditation creating a life different than what is or creating a story or creating a history? Um, am I ignoring the karmic seeds that were brought to me by my family and my growing up? Um, am I creating just a delusion, you know? that during this half hour or this period of time for a practice period or for sashin, um, am I creating a delusion of a world um, calmer or better somehow, more, more supportive than the actual world that we live in? So again, 
Dogen in the in the Jingo Koan says, uh, the Jingo Koan says, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be enlightened by ten thousand things. And I'm reminded of an Irish blessing that, that adapted just slightly. It says, "May I recognize in me the things in you that cause me suffering. May I understand, accept, and forgive those things in me and in you." And may that acceptance and forgiveness um, light the path that we can walk together hand in hand. So, of course, we're not walking anywhere hand in hand this year, but but the idea is there. So, I think that this opportunity to say, hmm, where is it we come to to find nourishment and to find um, to find the peace and ease that we need um, to live day to day in a in a spiritual way in a connected way. Um, so here's another teaching um, that Dogen gave. Um, Dogen says, uh, enjoying the tranquility of nirvana and leaving behind all the noise and hubbub of the world. <clears throat> if you seek to be tranquil and quiet, liberated from the insistence of the defiling passions at ease and content, then you should part company with confusion and bustle and dwell at ease in some solitary place. The person who dwells in quietude forsakes what those in the heavens um, so highly esteemed among themselves. Therefore, withdraw from those about you, as well as from other crowds, and in a place of solitude apart from them, reflect on the source of suffering and the eradication of suffering. Yeah. If you are one who enjoys the company of others, Dogen says, then you will take on the woes of their company. That is what I call distancing yourself from those about you. So I think it's, um, it's really interesting to think about how we how we make a balance between being actively engaged in the world um, and coming home, home to the heart mind, home to the building that we live in, home to the people um, that we have um, gathered or that we have been gathered to in our lives um, that make us feel safe. Um, and you know, by virtue of what we're experiencing today, um, that reminder that home doesn't have to be in one place. You know, home can include Germany and France and Canada and Italy and Oregon and wherever the rest of us are, um, all of these wonderful places. So, um, you know, this concern about are we creating just a delusion of a separate home, separate from the world? Um, Pat O'Hara, the, the abbot at Village Zen Center and one of the co-leaders of Zen Peacemakers says, if someone allows their inner essence to surface, that isn't delusion. It's quite the opposite, really. Knowing your true self is called enlightenment. So she says that the three marks of existence, of course, um, are uh, <clears throat> dukkha, which is suffering, anika, which is impermanence, and anatta, um, the, which is the sense of no separate self. And I think we sometimes get confused about that. Um, what does this separate self mean? And so one of the ways that I work with that and that I think about it um, is that the root of attachment is the false belief in a separate self. Because um, this is one of the most difficult teachings of the Buddhism. You know, we say, that what's this teaching of no self? Well, I'm here and I'm in my home and you're in my home and you're there. So, so there is a self. Um, um, but it's the process of recognizing the, um, I think, the essential unreality of a separate self. So we're here, and this is me, and I'm sitting here, and I'm wearing this robe, um, which somebody in Japan sewed, um, and somebody delivered here, um, and I'm wearing uh, rakasu, 
um, which I sewed, um, but with fabric that someone else um, produced and someone else cut and someone else marked and someone else um, um, put the pins in for me so I wouldn't sew it upside down or backwards. Um, so if we practice no separate self, we don't disappear. We don't disappear. The me, Stephen um, Koshin, that has lived for almost 70 years, um, doesn't disappear. I've survived many things. The karmic seeds have been planted. Um, and so the difference is um, that when I'm in fit spiritual condition, um, as, as I think I am pretty much today, um, I can realize that me experiencing this present moment is experiencing, experiencing it with all of you, and I would not be experiencing it without any one of you. Um, the teachings that, that I'm trying to um, verbalize and share with you came from someone else to me and from someone else to them. And if you hear anything that's useful or um, helpful to you, um, you'll probably share them with somebody else. And so we are completely interconnected. And so it's not that I don't exist or you don't exist. Um, it is that beautiful gift of, um, that, that, uh, that we are all connected. And then that second teaching, the teaching of impermanence, that we're all connected to stuff that we don't know. You know, as I mentioned, Sharon Salzberg's book, she talks about anything we thought we knew in February of 2020, um, we did not know and we don't know. Um, none of us could have imagined um, the things that have happened, the ways that we would suffer as a, as a worldwide global community, um, the ways that some of us would uh, learn and develop and grow different sorts of relationship and different sorts of bonds and different ways of being helpful with each other. Um, and that some of us would learn the basic teachings of the Buddha as a way of surviving and thriving ourselves and in service and in connection with each other, living wholeheartedly with things exactly as they are, living wholeheartedly with things exactly as they are. So in a reading um, that I was uh, looking at yesterday from a woman named Barbara O'Brien, who's a Buddhist writer, she says, to say that self is unreal is not the same thing as saying you don't exist. You exist, but not in the way you think you do. The Buddha taught that the ultimate cause of our unhappiness, of our dissatisfaction with life, is the fact that we don't know who we are. We think I am something inside our skin and that what's out there is everything else, I and other. But this, the Buddha said, is the terrible illusion that keeps us trapped in suffering. And then we cling to this because, because of our own insecurities and fears and unhappiness. Fully appreciating the unreality of the separate limited self is one of the descriptions of enlightenment. So we get this opportunity um, to say, hmm, who am I and where do I come to find myself and what do I find when I get to that place? Um, Buddhist practice can help us um, letting go of the sense of separate self, letting go of the sense of other and really um, coming back, back to ourselves. So one of those practices that we get to use is mindfulness. Um, mindfulness in Buddhist practice, Thich Nhat Hanh tells us, is more than just a form of meditation or more than just meditation. It's whole body mind awareness of the present moment. So Thich Nhat Hanh says, I define mindfulness as the practice of being fully present, alive, body and mind. Mindfulness is the energy that helps us to know what is going on in this present moment. So for me, what does that mean, like in this present moment? Well, for starters, in my own life, what it means is it's the opposite of uh, ruminating and worrying and reliving past moments. Um, and it's the relief from 
um, planning and over planning and strategizing and then manipulating what's going to happen in the future. Um, mindfulness is really coming home to the present moment um, and to know that in this present moment, for this hour and a half that we're together on Saturdays at Hartford Street Zen Center, we are in safety. Um, and it's not different than the rest of the world that we're in safety because we choose to be in this practice together. Um, and that there is the possibility that we can carry this with us as we go into the other parts of our lives, that this practice is all of life and all of life is practice. So Suzuki Roshi, our founder in, the, in, in our particular lineage says that in Zazen, um, we say your mind should be concentrated on your breathing, but the way to keep your mind concentrated on your breathing is to forget about yourself and to just sit and feel your breathing. Come home to your breathing home to your body, realizing that your body and its interconnectedness to all other bodies and very directly connected to the planet. So it's, it's a constant um, balance, it seems to me, and a constant um, engaged Buddhist practice to find that balance between hmm, just thinking about my breathing. Um, and at my age, especially when I meditate in the morning, I'm thinking about my breathing. And then I'm thinking about how it's not as deep as it used to be. And I'm thinking about I need to cough or sneeze or whatever it is I need to do. Um, and then, of course, I go immediately to if I need to cough and sneeze, that must be COVID. And perhaps I'll be dead by the end of this meditation session. And so off and running goes the mind. And so the opportunity is, um, as Suzuki Roshi said, just let go of all of that. Know that your mind works that way when it comes up. I have a mantra that I've told people here before that I use in meditation, which is just the two words, not now. So when those things come up in my meditation practice, I take a deep breath um, and say, not now, in my mind. And then that takes me back to the breathing. And it's a, a tool that I've used really uh, successfully over the years. You know, I think we spend a lot of time in distraction um, because it's easier to deal for many of us to deal with those distractions than to deal with uncertainty and the unknown. You know, we don't know what's going to happen next um, with health and the economy and, and political stuff and, and social justice. Um, and we want to be protected in a way from, from the unexpected. Um, and so, you know, we, we find ourselves um, uh, uh, with a certain groundlessness or uncertainty and insecurity. And so rather than, when, than dwell in that reality, um, many of us find distractions that we can use. Um, and, and so um, I think that it's, you know, it's okay. I was thinking about social media when I thought about that today. And I was thinking, you know, Many of us um, make little vows to ourselves that we will, we will not spend so much time going down um, the trails on, on Facebook or going through uh, the rabbit holes when you start looking up at a certain topic and you know suddenly it's two hours later and instead of doing the work you needed to do or preparing the meal you needed to prepare, um, you're still looking up um, from one link to another link to another link, some absolutely either important or completely esoteric and useless but interesting in the moment topic. Um, or we've gotten onto some video game or some, um, you know, some sort of thing, and we're playing it for a very long time. Well, you know, I think rather than um, make, it, make a, a vow or make an annual, what do they call it, New Year's resolution, that we're going to spend less time on media, I think it might be good to say, um, you know, that a certain amount of distraction, um, a certain amount of that may be um, a protected space, a sacred space. It may be a little bit of a home away from all the chaos in the world and all the craziness that's going on, and that that may be okay. 
so that rather than say I need to eliminate Facebook from my life, which some people may need to do, but rather than simply say that or say I'm never going to play games on the video again, um, it might make sense to say, hmm, why am I playing them? <clears throat> why am I going down the rabbit holes? Why do I spend so much time in social media? Well, maybe it's because I need that a bit of sacred space, a bit of safety from the chaos of the world. And so then you can use that to provide some peace, to calm your mind down, to find a centered place. Um, and then you could focus on other more traditional practices, um, loving kindness for yourself and for others, figuring out why the world is so distressing to you, um, figuring out what are the things that you're afraid of and are they real or are they stories from the past? Um, what's in the present moment? Um, and when we allow our minds to get calm, you know, for some of us, it's not social media. For some of us, people know about me. Um, it's daily walks near the ocean. Um, very necessary and some days completely a habitual action. Um, no matter what's going on, I, I last week was taking a delightful walk um, with a rain slicker and a hat. And it was, it was frankly miserable, um, but it was time for my walk and I needed to be by the ocean. So whatever it is, um, what we should look at is, is it in service to our sense of peace and ease? Is it preparing us? Does it arouse in us um, the proper heart-mind place to do uh, zazen, um, to do loving kindness, to be connected with others? And if it does, um, I don't think we need to think about it so much um, as something we need to get rid of. I think we can think of it as a tool that we use to prepare ourselves to, to deal with the reality of the lives that, that we're living. Um, so coming home, I think, um, can be thought of as arousing bodhicitta, arousing that mind of compassion, that mind of kindness, preparing us to be bodhisattvas in the world, to be of service to others and to ourselves. And I think um, that that becomes really important. And I think what it does for me when I think of home and when I think of a place to practice and a place to be safe and a place to share the Dharma um, and a place to have 320, um, 20, 340 now counting today, um, people welcomed into my home and my heart um, and what it, how wonderful it is to be welcomed in, into your homes. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's just it's this wonderful opportunity to use our practice um, and the things that we've been taught. And I just want to close with a little poem that I found, a pledge that I found from Rachel Naomi Remen on, on the line. And I'm not sure where I found it. So it could be that whoever spoke here last week said it. I'm not. So, so, so you may be hearing it again. But um, Rachel, she's a physician and she says, may I escape the shame, inadequacy and self-judgment and self-doubt that my training has taught me. May I trust that my love is as needed as my knowledge. May I remember in me the limitations of every person. May I be open to know my darkness and true to what light I have. May I be used as a blessing and a friend to all in life. And so it's just that, that beauty of that. I think she's talking about her medical practice training, but it certainly applies to our Buddhist practice as well that our Buddhist practice can be forms um, and, and rituals and practices, uh, and that's all good. Those things are all important, and we hand those from, from one another warm hand to warm hand. Um, and then we say, hmm, and what sort of home does that create for us to be safe in, for us to deal with the rigors of the world, um, to us, for us to come to 
on the days and seasons when we are overwhelmed with joy um, and, and to know that it's all impermanent. And so how do we help each other um, to live day to day, to live in the present moment? Uh, and it seems to me that as we redefine home as, you know, home this week in my spiritual practice was home to 300 people being together. Um, and it happened from my little window here to be in my home, but from each of your hearts and minds, it's in your home. Um, and the degree to which we can feel safe and secure in the reality of our homes, in the reality of 2021, um, and in that reality to invite each other in, um, to sit together um, and to look at ourselves, um, to study ourselves, to let go of ourselves, um, and to be enlightened by 10,000 things, which is all of you and all that you bring. So um, thank you for creating home with me this morning and for welcoming me to your home. And um, you are always welcome in my home. Thank you. <clears throat> so I think we have a little bit of time. Um, if anybody has a question or a thought or something that will uh, be beneficial to all of us or good joke, whatever you got, just unmute yourself and, and say hello. Richard, I think I see your hand, or maybe you're just adjusting your microphone. I was just adjusting, thank you. <laughs> uh, Stefan. Thank you so much for your talk. It went directly straight into my heart. And um, for many years, I had those practice of uh, those unhealthy practice of staying 11 months in uh, Germany of a year and one month in San Francisco. And I called San Francisco my home. And during those 11 months, I dreamed myself away to San Francisco and I didn't stay present in the moment. Mm -hmm. That was so much suffering. And uh, in San Francisco, I, when I came to the Zen practice, uh, that brought me back to the moment and back in reality. And then it began that I could say home to myself to those 11 months in Germany. Mm. Now it's so one, such a wonderful experience to um, see, okay, I'm home here and I'm home in, in San Francisco and the whole planet is my home. And when I travel to another country, it's like, like experiencing and discovering a new room in my house. And that's wonderful. Thank yeah. you so much. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And one of the ways, you know, sometimes we need a little boost to get from thinking of where home is as the one month to thinking of home as broader than that. And one of the tools that uh, Pat O'Hara teaches is, is that one of the ways to do that is to think, um, as you said, 11 months there and one month here, dreaming about the one month was causing me suffering. And if that's not motivation enough to change that behavior, if we realize that if you're suffering, so are other people around you, because we share that suffering with those on our daily lives. And so if we can't find the way to ease our own suffering, um, just because that's a noble path, that's a good thing to do. Um, sometimes the motivation can be, ah, if I ease that 11 months suffering, I will ease the suffering of those who have, who have the opportunity to encounter me during those 11 months. So that can be the motivation. Okay. Well, I think we're a quiet group this morning. So maybe 
all that needs to be said has been said. As Rumi said, if your words are not more important than silence, be quiet. Uh, Mio, Irvin Mio. Uh, this is very uh, off the cuff, Stephen, um, but I'm just throwing it out there. Um, I haven't been thinking very much about the whole um, vaccination business. Mm-hmm. I haven't been thinking about that very much until uh, just the other day, I uh, learned that some friends of mine managed to get vaccinated by some process that I still don't understand. And uh, now I'm thinking about vaccination a lot as though the, uh, the spirit of envy has now entered into me. And now I'm obsessing about, well, well what, what buttons can I push so I can get vaccinated? So I'm just throwing it out there. I don't know if you have anything to observe on, on this point, but yeah. uh, I think- it, was, it struck me as very odd that these people managed to get vaccinated. They don't even live in San Francisco and they came in San Francisco and got vaccinated. It's like, what, what's going on? So that's not an excuse to become obsessed, no. but uh, a certain um, preoccupation has now arisen. Yes. Well, I think, you know, I think one of the first tools is to have empathetic joy. Like instead of how did of course. they got, they got vaccinated and I didn't, damn it. It's like, to, uh, how wonderful that they got vaccinated. That of course. And our community safer. The fact that some people got vaccinated. Um, and then I think the other thing that can, that gets aroused is, is, uh, you know, a sort of sense that we, many of us develop from childhood. It's like, if they got vaccinated and I didn't, of course, I want to get vaccinated because that will make me healthier and safe. But then there's this sense, that nagging voice from maybe childhood or somewhere that says, um, I must have fucked, screw, uh, messed something up. Excuse me. I must have messed something up. They figured mm-hmm. to do this and I didn't. Why am I always missing out? You know, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Maybe I should have paid attention. So, you know, that, that voice that starts running. Right. Uh, I think the opportunity practice is to say, ah, where am I right in the moment? I'm in a very safe building on Castro Street. Um, everybody... Mm-hmm. Everybody's practicing very carefully, and so I'm safe. And so now I can spend some minutes a day rather than torturing myself about why I didn't step back soon enough or um, cleverly enough or whatever that negative voice is saying to a place of saying, ah, so how do I get on those lists? How do I figure out? Um, um, And so when you talk to those people, um, to any of us, I was also vaccinated last week. So when you talk to any of us to say, how'd you do it? Um, with a fully open heart that, ah, if you did it that way, maybe I can, or I'll find a way. Mm-hmm. They, I, I mentioned, Mio, before you got on today, I think, um, that yesterday they vaccinated 5,000 people at the Moscone Center, according to the news report. Mm-hmm. A little hard to imagine that that's, um, well, that's my cynical side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds more like a press release than a reality, but that's that's the capacity that they're, that they're, um, that they're uh, claiming to have at the Moscone Center. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think that's, you know, it's, I think, partially um, starting with the joy for others that they, they got vaccinated and they're safe, and then moving to, ah, so what can I learn from them um, in terms of, of, you know, not spending time wishing things were different than they are, that I didn't act fast enough or, or smart enough you know, to use a word, um, but what can I learn from them about how to work, how to work in the systems mm-hmm. of the person of my age and health status onto those lists. Mm-hmm, 
Uh, it's interesting watching the alternation from relief on their part or for them and a uh, sense of uh, doom for myself. It's like, uh-oh, this is where it starts, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, the zombie plague starts this way. You know, a few people escape and then masses of us, you know, are ground underneath. So anyway. Yes, I, I was fairly certain that I caught COVID on BART on the way over to the place where I got it. <laughs> so I was, I was able to, to re, you know, to consciously reduce that anxiety. Um, yes. Any other thoughts for the day? Um, Ron. Yes, Mio, I shared with David a couple of links where you can get on waiting lists. So just ask your sweet mate, David. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I actually already did that. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Nothing succeeds like success. Well, and, and as, as um, one of our speakers mentioned earlier today, um, getting on those waiting lists um, can be a wonderful thing. We accept, ah, good, we're now on the waiting list. It can also be an increased anxiety. <laughs> it's like, damn, now I'm on the waiting list. What does that mean? Where am I up? Have I moved up the list? What, you know, um, and, and so each step along that process, like most processes in life, can be relief and calmness for you know a few minutes. And then it's like, oh, now what can I worry about? I can worry about, am I moving up fast enough on the list? So, so I think it's, it's always a matter of being really um, consciously um, involved in, in uh, working for peace and ease. Um, and our practice allows that. Cheryl, did you have a question? I don't. Thank oh. you for the talk today. Okay. Um, after the talk, we will be having the monthly Founders Memorial. So if you'd like to stay and join us for a short chanting and um, offerings here in Sendo, um, that will be happening just a few minutes after the talk ends. The founder, for some of you who don't know, the founder is Isan Dorsey. That's our founder. I think it might be time for a chant and then the founder's ceremony. <laughs>